When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If it's lonely at the top, it gets lonely a lot faster when you're a woman. When you need support more than ever, all of a sudden, you are the one now expected to give support to other women. Rather than thinking about power as the zero-sum game, coming together to expand the table to ultimately change the face of leadership. When I think about a woman in power, I don't think of somebody who looks like me. It really doesn't matter what you're wearing, what you look like, or your age. If you're powerful, this is a place for you to come together with other powerful women and to feel included. My name is Lindsay Kaplan, and I am a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Roman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Today, we're talking to Lindsay Kaplan, co-founder of Chief, an exclusive network which connects and supports women leaders. I'm a member of Chief, and I've been a member for almost three years now, and it has completely changed my life. And we've also had several Chief members as guests on this podcast. So to have Lindsay join us today was a real thrill and an honor to be able to talk to her about her own experiences that inspired this incredible network that she's built. And we actually came up for the idea for this podcast, Sharon, in Chief's Tribeca office in New York City. That's right. In the before times. In the before times, there was some wine involved from what I remember. <laughs> but yeah. It that was, may or may not have happened during the workday. I may or know. may not. We may or may not have been drinking. Time. It's true. We may or may not have been drinking that. I think you met Suzanne Sinatra that day as well, right? Like that all of, the of that. Suzanne, yeah. Yep, that all happened the same day. And you, you just kind of hung out there. And that's what I love about Chief. It's one of those places where they create an environment. Now it's all virtual, obviously. But they've created an environment where it just allows for this very easy networking and ideation and connections to happen. And I think that's really where the power and the magic lies with what what they've built. Well, and one thing I really appreciated, not just about Lindsay's story and kind of what got her to ultimately founding Chief, which we'll talk about, but it's when I asked her about what the future is and what she wants, she wants a world where Chief doesn't need to exist. And despite the kind of insane growth that you guys have had over the past couple of years. It's It speaks to kind of a bigger gap in the market that this is still needed. And it is still needed. It is so necessary. And we need allies and advocates that aren't just women operating in this space. But Chief is really filling an unmet need in the market, I think. Yeah. We say that a lot, right? Roman, whenever you and I have conversations about whether it's Black Lives Matter or Stop Asian Hate, we often end those exact discussions with something similar to the thought of, we just wish we didn't have to have these conversations anymore. And I think 
hearing Lindsay say that the mission of Chief is so that an organization like that doesn't need to exist anymore is such a nice parallel of really painting the picture that the same way we we're striving to make a difference and we're striving to have these conversations in chief itself is, is making a huge, a huge difference for a lot of women and a lot of companies and families and networks everywhere with what they're doing. Yeah. And it's rooted in chief's mission, changing the face of leadership, which I think we would all acknowledge kind of needs to continue to happen. So I think you're going to really enjoy our chat with our new friend, Lindsay. Lindsay, it's so great to have you here with us today. Thanks for inviting me. We ask all of our guests this question, and I'd love to ask it to you too. And that is, where are you from? And then we usually ask them, where are you really from? (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. I am from Hopewell Junction, New York. Is that upstate? (laughs) (laughs) It's upstate. I'm not only from Hopewell Junction, New York. I am sitting in Hopewell Junction, New York right now. So you haven't haven't gone very far. (laughs) I didn't go very far in my life. I have since since COVID. I have a home upstate in my hometown, which is very convenient because my parents are still here. So I have family and it's been great to raise my kids near my family. That's great. And so did you, you guys moved back there recently, then you weren't living there the whole time. We are kind of half here and half on the Upper West Side. Got it. Got so it. And my parents have been spoiled over the last year, seeing the grandkids all the time, but we'll probably go back to a place where we have weekends up here because I am needed in the city. <laughs> well, Lindsay, so you're kind of well known for your day job. But I guess before we talk about that, can you tell us a story of something from your youth growing up in Dutchess County? Sure. I mean, I can tell you that I actually, it's surprising that I'm here. Because I grew up in this town, which is it's a lovely town, about an hour and a half north of the city. And I never really felt like I fit in here at all. And I'm not sure if it's because I am Jewish I'm not sure if it's because I'm not really sure why, but I I never felt like I fit in. And so it's not surprising that I ended up in New York. It's more surprising that I'm back here. And it's definitely a trip to go to the the local stores and feel like I'm back in a place that I I wasn't comfortable growing up in. When you were a kid, because I think about this a lot, I grew up in kind of a suburban Southern environment. And I was uncomfortable, but I made it work. And I get Mm -hmm. more uncomfortable and realize how uncomfortable I was as a youth when I go back. Like, were there, were there moments that now you look back on your life as a kid that you kind of understand where that discomfort might have been coming from? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I grew up in a town that prioritizes sports more so than sitting at home reading, which was my go-to. I was a kid that my mom got me a subscription to Newsweek, and I was studying for my bat mitzvah, and I had no interest in sports. And probably the only interest I had was at one point, probably when I was 14, 15, I kind of jokingly said to my mom, there's, there's no girl on the football team why don't I try out for the football team just because, just just to do it, right? Just to kind of throw a, a woman wrench in there. And my mom looked at me, I was very little, I'm short. And she kind of looked at me like, I get what you're saying, but, but do you actually mean it? And I was like, no, of course, I'm not, of course not. Of course I don't mean it. Of course I was never going to try out for the football team. But I think even saying it 
felt like this acknowledgement that this was a very traditional town that has a very traditional look at gender roles that I acknowledged. And I was extremely proud to grow up with parents. My mother was working. I have a distinct memory one year that my mom, who is a real estate broker, I remember her telling me, mom made more than dad this year. And I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever heard. Because again, grew up in a town where you just kind of understood the dad made the money and a lot of moms didn't work. And the moms who did, didn't have the same types of of jobs that dads had. And so that memory just stuck to me, just remembering how proud my mom was to tell me that she made more than my dad did that year. And clearly that impacted me a lot as I grew up and as I co-created an organization for women executives. That's amazing. What did mom do? for a living? My mom is a real estate broker. That's great. And my dad was running a Chevy dealership. He was GM of a few different Chevy dealerships. And now he owns and operates a bar and restaurant. So I come from a family of entrepreneurs. <laughs> my grandparents were entrepreneurs. My, my dad owns a business. My mom was, as a real estate broker, kind of her own boss. And mm-hmm. it really impacted the way I wanted to grow up and live my life. That's what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, when I was a kid, I kind of, I was an artsy kid. So I wanted to be a musician, then I wanted to be a painter, then I wanted to be a writer. And at no point when I was a kid, did I think I wanted to be a businesswoman. I don't know if any kid does. They might sell lemonade, but like, who? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, yeah, it's rare. I don't think kids kid are watching Wall Street or Mad Men. <laughs> right. But I was, what's interesting is I wanted to do this creative, I clearly had a creative drive in me. And so that motivated me, but I was also super competitive. So at the same time, I did have a subscription to Newsweek. I was on top of, I remember I mentioned I was studying from a thought mitzvah, all 40 minutes of it, that was 90% in, in English. And my mom, after my bat mitzvah was like, what do you want to do with your bat mitzvah money? And I was 13, this is like the 90s. And I'm like, I read about this company called Apple they're going to come out with this MP3 player and I really want to invest in an Apple. So I took my measly bat mitzvah gift money and I invested in Apple at 13. So clearly I had some interest in investing, but as a kid and I think as a woman, I didn't even think about being a businesswoman. It didn't even occur to me at the time because I wanted to pursue the arts. So it's, it's interesting. I kind of came full circle and I believe that's why I ended up into creative, into brand, into marketing to kind of fuse that love of creative and the arts, but also really scratch the itch that I have around competitive business. What did your friends say back then when you were reading Newsweek and thinking about investing in Apple? Because <laughs> I did silly things like that too, and I kind of hid some of that from my friends. <laughs> but I was did, say, did... You assume I had a lot of friends. Uh-huh. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was I was not very popular. I wouldn't say I was bullied, but I was certainly on the fringes. I, again, wasn't really comfortable. I didn't have that many friends. And it wasn't until I got to college and I met people that were similarly interested in the arts, in, in reading, that I felt more comfortable and could be myself. And I don't think I really was a great reflection of myself until I left my hometown. What were some things you would have to do to fit in? I think I just didn't fit in. I don't know if I ever really tried well to fit in. I'm a bit of a loud mouth. And so there's an interesting dichotomy of feeling like I didn't have a lot of friends, but also feeling very much 
I was the person that spoke my mind in class and just never felt, again, I wasn't really bullied, but I was never invited to the parties. The cool kids didn't dislike me. I was just not really memorable. I don't think I was really worth knowing. And so mostly I read a lot. I read a ton of books, most of which I look back were really over my head. I don't really think I understood Orwell when I was 16, (laughs) but I really surrounded myself in books and learning and just striving to be above whatever I thought I wasn't comfortable in. And then you moved away and you mentioned at that point, you really came into your own. What inspired that? Like, can you remember a pivotal moment for you? Yeah, I went to college outside Boston at Brandeis University, which is notable for being non-sectarian, but was founded for Jewish people. And I am not a religious Jew, but I am culturally, ethnically very Jewish. And I remember feeling like I met a lot of weirdos. And I felt so safe and so <laughs> welcome. You had found your tribe. I know the feeling, though. I know the feeling. I mean that sincerely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that really played a large theme through the rest of my life. I just, I love weirdos. I love people who don't fit in, who say the wrong thing, who are thinking about weird things, who want to have interesting conversations. And meeting an entire university of weirdos was probably the best thing that could have happened to me when I was 18. And it really impacted who I was and who I could become. How would you say you're similar and different from that young woman finally feeling at home with all the weirdos? (laughs) That's a great question. Well, I read a lot less, sadly, because I'm so busy. I don't have time to read. So I think I think I am. I still don't know how I think I'm comfortable with who I am in a way that I, I don't think I was when I was a young woman, but I still don't really, to get very honest, I still don't really feel like I fit in anywhere. I run with my co-founder, a company that has over 5,000 women executives, and I don't feel always like a woman executive. I don't feel like I necessarily fit in with chief women. Some may call it imposter syndrome. I don't look the part. I don't necessarily feel like to go back to that young woman sitting in the cafeteria. I don't really know what table I belong to, but I'm okay with that now. I'm okay not feeling like there's a table for me and just knowing that I'm comfortable to eat where I eat. Yeah. And the whole premise of Chief is that you've created a space and a network so that women could build their own table and create their own experiences in that way. And we usually try to stay away from work-specific stuff, but I think for you, it's such a big part of who you are and what inspired the organization that I'm personally curious to know, how did you and Carolyn come up with this? Yeah, so when I started to go into my career, I noticed a trend pretty early So started my career in book publishing, went into magazines, was in advertising. And there's a real trend I noticed of, I worked with lots of women. Yet, when I looked up at the senior levels in management, when I looked at the C-suite, even at a fashion magazine, right? Even at a place where I worked with a lot of women, still, still, all of those leadership roles were, were mostly held by men, traditionally white men. And in my job prior to Chief, 
I was vice president of communications and brand at Casper. And at Casper, I joined first employee. I asked for the title of VP and they were like, I mean, guys, there was five of us. So they were like, sure, you can have whatever title you want, Lindsay. Like you could be VP. Title inflation at small companies, right? Exactly. They're like, you could be like diplomat to Europe. Like what? it doesn't really matter. And so I held the title of vice president. It wasn't until three, four years on that I actually had two, three departments under me that I had this massive budget in in comparison to what I had been doing prior and was managing over 20 people at one point. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had never been a true VP before outside of that lovely inflated title. So it was the point that I needed support more than ever that I was asked to be on panels and women were asking me, young women were asking me to coffee. And suddenly When I needed help, it was that I had to be the mentor and I had to give the help. And so my co-founder was going through something similar in her career. And we realized if it's lonely at the top, it gets lonely a lot faster when you're a woman. When you need support more than ever, all of a sudden, you are the one now expected to give support to other women. And that's what really stoked the idea for Chief, which is a network of women who are VP through C-suite, who can come together, who can show up, be real, normalize challenges, help one another. And rather than kind of thinking about power as a zero-sum game, coming together to think about how we support one another and expand the table to let more women in and to ultimately change the face of leadership. So it came from a really personal place of wanting to make sure that there was a network for women who were in a similar situation to me And Lord knows if I felt it at this startup that other women were feeling it in their corporate roles in other organizations. And how powerful would it be if we all came together? Absolutely. And I myself have experienced all of that, the good and the bad and being at the bottom of the totem pole and looking up and wondering where all the women were in the spaces that I wanted to be. And then mid-stage in my career, looking at my peers and seeing other women. But none that were exactly like me in different ways. So whether it was because I was a mom for the first time and having to make some decisions on flexible work arrangements or taking maybe too much time off for maternity leave and and things like that. And then now leading my own business. And, and there have definitely been so many moments where I've looked around and just thought, I need, I want to find someone who's done this already. And I want to find someone who's done it and and who's female and who has a lifestyle like mine or who has a similar background as me. And I have to say, Lindsay, in the last three years that I've been part of Chief, I've always found that a Chief. I've always found another woman who has either been two steps ahead of me or maybe is exactly where I am, where the two of us are exploring things together or trying to embark on new things together. I've always been able to reach out to anyone within the network and have gotten a really positive response. And I think you've built something so beautiful with Carolyn and it's just so special because we're, we've, we've really all come together and it's, it's a support like I've never known before. So you're making a huge difference for, for not just myself, but all of the other 5,000 members that are out there. Well, that means the world to me. And I think, you know, I, I talked earlier about not necessarily feeling like I belong And it's one of the reasons that when I started to put pen to paper on what the brand of Chief looks like, 
we specifically don't have photos of women on chief.com on our, on our public facing website. We don't have social media. We're not on Instagram. And that's because I don't love the idea of prescribing what a woman in power looks like. Because when I think about a woman in power, I don't necessarily think of somebody who looks like me. And I just want, I want someone to feel that they belong. And I don't want to necessarily illustrate what that looks like. I just want them to, to feel and to read and for them to identify with the words and to know that it really doesn't matter what you're wearing. It really doesn't matter what you look like or your age, that if you're powerful, this is a place for you to come together with other powerful women and to feel included. That's great. I also think that part a big part of this is re- redefining all of that. I mean, it's someone in my core group at Chief recently decided she was going to take a sabbatical and she's a very senior person at a pretty big organization. And it was a very hard decision for her. And she wanted to do it just for personal reasons. Like there was no, there was no big life crisis that had happened. There was no, you know, emergency, medical emergency. She literally had just said, I've, I've been doing this now for, I think it's been about 10 years in that role. And she was like, I, I think I need a break. I just want to take some time off and not be working anymore. And it was such a big part of her identity. Being a professional, being a senior leader in a huge organization was is such a big part of her identity that even making a choice like that, which seems like it should be easier, you know, like it wasn't a money decision. It wasn't, she wasn't limited in any way. She had saved up enough money. She has the means, she has the time to be able to do that. But letting go of that, side of her identity was a really difficult process and a really big challenge for her. But she literally just yesterday announced on LinkedIn that she was officially taking the rest of the summer off and she kind of made it known. And I feel like for her, that's a huge, just such a huge win to be able to do that and to embrace all of the sides of what it means to be a woman in power today, because it doesn't have to be in an office setting. It doesn't. And it's so, what you said is so significant to think about how our identity is so tied to our job, right? And so to be able to identify that and to separate that and, and to have that mindset shift away from what people expect from you and what you need from you, that's everything. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, it's really great. One of our earliest guests and a friend of the pod is this guy named Carl. He works on the diversity team at PNG, and he's a white male. But something he's taught me and I've learned is the idea of you don't have to be a minority to be an advocate and to be an ally. And I, I think the thing I've appreciated the most about Chief from Sharon telling me about it, a lot of my female friends being members now and spending some time in the space, but it's the idea that you guys have more of a show don't tell kind of approach to it, which I, I really like, Lindsay, the way you articulate how you have a presence in digital for that reason. I guess, what has been the thing that surprised you the most about Chief in the last five years, both good and bad, I guess? It's growth. Honestly, I, Carolyn, my co-founder and I, when we started Chief, we had big aspirations, but maybe they weren't big enough because it shocks me that we are over 5,000 members. It shocks me to see the wait list and to see the incredible women who are heroes of mine joining Chief and finding what they need, finding part of what they need through Chief. 
it shocks me. It's a bit of a, I need to like dip my face in a little bit of cold water to see that it has grown. And clearly there is a demand here because we've had what many have called a crisis with women in the workplace this year. We have seen that every time there is a step forward, every time we see more women entering the C-suite, just as many women dip out, right? And so as much as I love seeing Chief grow and I'm excited about its future, it's depressing to see the need for it and how slow change is to happen. And so there needs to be some huge changes in American life to make sure that we are thinking through how we look at childcare, right? Like what social services we have in place in order to make sure that we can create an equitable workforce. This is all tied together. This is not a simple solution. And so as exciting it is to see Chief grow, ultimately, I hope we get to a place where Chief doesn't need to exist and that companies don't need to sponsor women to be a part of Chief because women don't need their own organization to find these connections and to, you know, manage through these difficult times. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think this is, while there are many problems that need to be addressed, I don't think this is a female problem or a male problem. This is an American problem with some of the inequities we have. And I mean, I think if the last year has exacerbated anything, we're, and I say this, I'll speak for my entire gender when I say we're all <laughs> kind of like, a lot of us are home with kids. And you see, as much as you try to split the responsibility, you see certain things falling on the mothers, the wives, the women in the family more than not. And I'm walking into a hornet's nest, I know, with what I'm saying, but it's, I think we can do so much as individuals. There are things and there are active things that we can all collectively do as allies, as advocates, as men, as women. But I think I have a friend, she runs a gender equity consultancy, Nicole, who's been on the show as well. And training and action doesn't solve for biases and systemic issues. Systems change does, to your point, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, Mm -hmm. and until we as a society collectively embrace and choose to value certain systems changes, I don't, this is where I become really pessimistic. So Sharon, talk me out of this hornet's desert as cliff, but like, no, I mean, I don't don't see things getting better. And this isn't just a problem for women. We need to to pass legislation to ensure that there is, you know, paid leave for caregivers, whether that is for moms, whether that is for dads, whether that is for people who have sick parents. So, you know, there's there's a lot that is that is dependent. There's only so much that we as individuals can do. There's only so much that we as the leaders of our organizations can do. And so I think we have to take care of our people as leaders. We have to make sure that we are we are leading and paving the way for others. But I think we also need to make sure that we are aware of the systems that are in place that need to change in order to affect the greater good, right? And so I think that includes women in the workplace. I think that includes underrepresented people. We do not have, I mean, forget just women, right? The gender gap is one thing, but making sure that we meet that gap in it and ensure that we are bringing women of color into the workplace, that we are thinking about ageism in the workplace, that we are acknowledging that we as a country don't do enough for disabled people in the workplace. There's a lot here that we have to attack and that we have to acknowledge and we have to lobby for. 
one of my favorite organizations, this is going to get a little political, but like, I really like Crooked Media, not just because they make really funny podcasts and great ads, but they've almost become an advocacy org just as much as they've become a media org, is Chief exists as a resource is kind of the best way I could define it if I had to put it in a bucket. And I hate putting things in buckets, but it's a resource for women executives. But are there other areas or uh, given all the conversation we just had about advocacy and system change, are there other things on your mind? Or is that another journey for Lindsay to go on? Or is Chief part of that journey? I think Chief's ultimate goal is to change the face of leadership. And so today, it is a network for women executives. But I can tell you that North Star of changing the face of leadership will certainly impact what we are doing tomorrow. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any specifics? Not today. (laughs) Not today. But we're going to make, we're making the world better. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I think we have a lot to do. And so our scope is wider than just women, as it should be, because it's not enough just to say we need more women in power, right? It's not enough to say that. And so we are working through what is our two-year plan? What is our five-year plan? And how do we ultimately change what the boardroom looks like here in America and across the world? Who do you think's doing it well? Uh, Scandinavia. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we promised we wouldn't talk politics. <laughs> I think there are companies, there are individuals that are doing some things well and some things not well. I'm very excited to see some plans, some infrastructure changes being discussed in the White House. And so I'm optimistic that that we will see change. And I think that change, I've always said, we say this at Chief, that change starts from the top. So what I am most looking to is the new administration of the White House, and I'm optimistic that that will have a greater impact over the next few years. Beyond the answer of you want to live in a world where chief doesn't need to exist, what does success look like for you guys in the short and the midterm? Is it continuing to grow? Is it what kind of change do you hope to see that you guys are directly impacting in the next couple of years? And then how can people help? So I think our number one goal right now is to ensure that we bring more women into the C-suite and into the boardroom. That is our number one goal. And in order for us to do that, again, we think that women need to be supported. We think that they need a network of others and that they need to come together to make sure that power is shared and that that ripple effect can happen within their organization. So that is our our short-term goal. It has been that since day one. Longer term, we need to think about what that means for other people and and be really thoughtful about what that means as we think about women, women of color, again, and kind of widen the aperture of underrepresentation in the highest places of power. How are you sharing the impact with everybody else? I think that's a good question. We've been so focused right now on what we are doing for our members. I don't know if we've done a great job of sharing impact yet. My primary focus is to make sure, especially as we went through 2020, we produced over 300 events. We hit this point early in the pandemic where we told our team, no matter if five people sign up for this or 500, we need to make sure that we are delivering on the diverse set of needs that our members need right now. And so we went 
bananas, I have no other word for it, (laughs) trying to make sure that we could produce any workshop, any event, any meetup that our members needed and spread ourselves really thin. And this year, we, knowing that things are changing, that people are going back to work, that there is certainly Zoom fatigue and that thankfully schools are opening and I would say the state of the world is normalizing as much as it can be. We are going back to a place of fewer, better, what do our members need and how do we make sure we deliver the absolute best people, whether that is bringing in the top business school professors, the most important voices right now in women's rights, everything that our women need. We have been laser focused on delivering to our members and their membership. I don't know if we've done a great job of articulating our impact outward. So that's something that we're working on doing, but we have to do the job before we start tuning our own horn. So I'm very wary of doing that and doing that too soon. It's why we really, again, it's why we're not on Instagram. We're not on social media. I think that could be extremely distracting from our goal. And our goal is to deliver on membership, not to market what we are doing to deliver on membership. Mm -hmm. It's the whole show don't tell philosophy. I think that makes a ton of sense. 100% focused on showing. (laughs) And you have two kids, right, Lindsay? I do. I do. I have a five-year-old and I have a one-year-old who was born right before COVID. So I I went straight from parental leave right into quarantine. I remember that moment. If we were to ask your five-year-old what he thinks mommy does for work, how do you think he would describe it? (laughs) (laughs) He says, I know exactly what he would say. He would say, mommy's the boss. (laughs) That's so good. Well, she is. (laughs) Right. And and then if you say boss of what, he'd say work. And he doesn't actually fully get what work is. That's kind of accurate, though. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But he knows mommy works a lot. And sometimes he uses that against me. And he knows mommy's the boss. That's so sweet. Good enough for now. Yeah. That's all accurate for now. Wait until he really learns what what you're building and what you're doing. His mind is going to explode. I know. Exactly. I have two boys. It's very off-brand. It's okay. Not at all, actually. Not at all. <laughs> because like I said, I think it's some of the work that we have to do across generations is we don't just have to get women on board with this. The rest of us do too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We've been doing a lot of work around bringing our members, allies in, right? Because... Women don't necessarily need to be educated. It's kind of that whole fallacy around (laughs) leaning in, right? She doesn't need to do anything else, right? We want to make sure that there's she's learning as much as she can as a leader, that she's supported, that she has the network. But the last thing I want to do is burden the women who are already exhausted and working their asses off and doing everything that they're doing to be leaders. So if anything, we need everybody else to lean in a little bit more and listen. Yeah. Lindsay, if we were to turn back time to 16-year-old you reading Orwell in Dutchess County, what would you tell yourself today? What would you tell yourself based on what you know today that you didn't know then? (laughs) To put down Animal Farm because you don't know what it's about. (laughs) That would be the first thing. I would tell her not to change a thing. Because the parties that I wasn't invited to didn't matter. 
and the weirdos were around the corner. And to keep saying what I wanted to say in class and to keep, to keep, it's okay to not feel like you're a part of something. That's okay. And it made me who I am. So I don't think I would change a thing. I don't know if I would tell her anything. I don't want a butterfly effect, whatever was happening, because I'm really proud of who I am now. And I think all of those moments helped shape me and make me the leader and the mom and the friend I am today. Plus, you had already invested a lot of money into Apple. So, I mean. Yeah, don't right. touch the Apple. I know. <laughs> I, had to, I had to sell so much of it to pay all my student loans. So, Brandeis <laughs> University got a lot of that Apple. <laughs> That's great. Well, Lindsay, it's been so much fun talking to you. And I love hearing all the kind of the inside scoop of things because you and I have known each other for a while, but I've actually never gotten this personal with you. So this has been such a treat for me. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. And well, it's, it's not, oh, we're not yet. done. It's oh, not over not yet. <laughs> I was right about to pivot. So this oh, okay. is the part I was say, where the I'm, cover. I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm going back to 16 year old me as I'm staring outside of my neighborhood. We're actually going to bring you into speed round now. Are you ready for speed round? I'm ready for speed round. Wrong answer. No one's ever ready for speed round. <laughs> okay, I'm not ready. <laughs> I think you're ready. I've got my my bet on you, Lindsay. What's one thing about you that no one expects? Oh my god, I'm already failing speed round. <laughs> Well, it's it's mostly a failure because it's not fast. Yeah. <laughs> it just takes forever. It's a trick. It's a trick. Yeah. Speed round is actually quite slow. Something nobody expects about me is, oh my God, I have no idea. I don't think people realize that I am almost blind because I wear my contacts. So people are usually shocked when I wear my glasses. Because, <laughs> because they're like I have, Coke bottle glasses. They are big Coke bottle glasses. I am like a negative 10. And I wear my contacts. So people are usually surprised and say, I didn't know you wore glasses. Meanwhile, I've been wearing glasses since I was four. So, <laughs> What is a book or a movie or even a TV show that has characters that you relate to? I love the book and the movie Contact, Carl Sagan. I love the scientist in it. She's just this, she's a weirdo. Played by Jodie Foster, she, right? Yeah. Yep, played by Jodie Foster. I loved that movie when I was younger. I still love it. Because there's like a perseverance to her. She just won't give up. Yes, she doesn't give up. She knows there's something bigger out there. That's great. What is your favorite mom dish? Mom dish? As in in gossip or cooking? As in what you Oh, wow. I've never heard about it that way. (laughs) Yes. As in cooking or as in whatever. So when I say that, what do you think? My favorite mom dish is a dish filled with ice and two fingers of scotch. And it's a big dish. It's a big, it serves many. <laughs> I guess more seriously, what's something you remember from your mom? My favorite mom dish is she makes an amazing chicken parm. All right. What mm. would your kids say their favorite mom dish is? Oh my gosh. I mean, again, five and one. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so like mac and cheese probably. Is, I was going to say my five-year-old is mac. So I make him Max and Peas, which is macaroni and cheese and peas. But we call it Max and Peas. That's so good. What about least favorite food? I don't do weird cheese. And I wish I did. I love the way I I wish I could sit with you and eat just like a a plate of weird cheese. But like, 
I am I'm kind of basic when it comes to my cheese. I like a brie. I can do a gouda, but I'm not into goat blue any of that. I'm very disappointed to tell you because I wish I could enjoy it. And I just, I have no taste for good cheese. I get a little freaked out when I see the mold. If it's green or blue, I'm like, whoa, that doesn't seem like it's safe. (laughs) I wish I could eat it, but I I agree. Not fair. Who is someone out there that you'd want to interview for a podcast? Oh, well, we had Stacey Abrams come speak at Chief. And one of our incredible members interviewed her. And it was one of my favorite interviews of all time. So I would love to interview Stacey Abrams and have an hour to talk with her. I think she is legendary. Yeah, she's great. And last question, what does being a modern minority mean to you? I think a modern minority speaks up for others, is an advocate, an ally, and acknowledges their role in society and what they can do for others. I love that. And Lindsay, you've certainly lived up to all of that and you've created such a great, just such a great network and such a special place for all of us. So a personal thank you for for building and creating Chief and a very special thank you for being with us today on Modern Minorities. Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to see what's next. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. Now here's a preview of our next episode. Let's just be real. As people of color, there are certain things our Caucasian brothers and sisters can get away with that we cannot. That meant all the disrespect, all the harassment. I had to calculate my responses because I knew the playing field was not even. And this is no judgment. I love my Caucasian brothers and sisters in this game, but the game is just kind of different in almost any industry. Whether you're an architect or a comedian, it doesn't matter. It's that need to control your responses. It's almost like you're not allowed to have a normal range of emotions because if you do then you're the angry black woman or the sassy latin woman and so there's always a need for that unfortunately for people of color until the perception of who we are changes that's it for now i've been Raman segel and i'm still sharon lee tony remember we're all modern minorities out there we'll talk to you soon Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.